When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Uh, If you want to come see me live, come see the Red Rocket Live. i got a handful of dates left before the end of the year. Um, This weekend, right now, currently, I'm in Nashville uh, in Zanies, baby. If you're in Nashville, Tennessee, come on out. T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-E, baby. And then Sunday, um, I'm going to be in Huntsville, Alabama, doing one show. Uh, Then next week, I'm in Cobbs in San Francisco. Uh, The following week, I'm uh, in Indianapolis, um, then I take a week off to eat some turkey, put them in my belly. And then uh, after that, I'll be at the Brea Improv, December 6th and 7th. And then the 14th, I'm doing two shows at the Ice House in Pasadena. As you can see right here, that's the list. That's what I got left for uh, 2019. And then 2020, uh, the Red Rocket Tour kicks off. That's the beautiful art, again, by Jenna and Joseph. Uh, make it happen. It's going to be incredible, man. We're going to a million different cities. Um, it's in the description below, but Minnesota, Chicago, uh, Denver, Edmonton, Canada, uh, Detroit, uh, Madison. Um, we're all over the map. Phoenix. I mean, we're we're everywhere, man. Um, Cincinnati, uh, Cleveland. Um, I'm so excited to be doing this. Um, you can go to andrewsantino.com for tickets. Um, and I want to thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Subscribe here and spread the word. Tell everyone about the show um, so we can keep this train a moving. This episode of Whiskey Ginger is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped makes all the good tools for your tool. Listen, if you're not cleaning up your basement, you should be because that's disgusting. If you want a finished basement, you want to have friends come over, you got you to gotta trim it up. Nobody wants shad carpet, okay? You got to get nice thin carpet like this right here, something low to the earth. You know, clean yourself up a little bit. There's a million different ways to clean up. I highly recommend all of the products by Manscaped, dude. They have all of the best stuff. Um, the lawnmower, traditional name, the 2.0, you can get nice and close. Um, they designed this stuff so you're not going to nick your nuts. I've talked about it before. Everyone's nicked their nuts. We've all gone through that pain. We've all been in the shower crying, watching blood trickle down the, the drain. It's not going to happen with any of their products. Manscaped is great. They also make lotions and balms that you can rub on yourself to make sure you smell good before you go out on the town. I highly recommend it. I personally do use it. They also have an amazing little tote bag that I carry with me on the road. Um, and it delineates uh, a trimmer for your face and one for your nuts. It's nice to have two different uh, things there. You don't want to use the same trimmer for your beard that you do for your ball beard. So get yourself some Manscaped products. Go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code WHISKEY to get 20% off and free shipping. Uh, once again, that's manscaped.com. That promo code is this show, WHISKEY, to get 20% off. Enjoy the episode. In here, we pour whiskey. Whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the horse. Gingers are hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but I mean it once again today. It's Mr. Anthony Jesselnick. Thanks for coming. 
Do I have to talk as fast as you? Is that you like could the try. point of this? See if you could or... try it. See if you could do the intro that I just did as fast as I can do it. Hey, this is Andrew Santino. Welcome to Whiskey Ginger. I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world, Anthony Jeselnik. He's a better comic than me. Look at that. That was so good except for the end. Something about the end threw me off and I don't know what it was. Maybe you said your name incorrectly? I don't know. Is Maybe. it Jeselnik or Jeselnik? Jessel- it's, it's funny. It's technically Jeselnik. That's what I use. Right. But uh, I remember like when I graduated college, I didn't get there in time to like tell them how to pronounce it. So I walk across the stage and they're like, Anthony Jeselnik. And I'm like ticked. Like I'm annoyed. That's, that and, sets you off. And my grandma's like, actually, Jeselnik is correct too. And I was like, I, for, for 22 years I've been yelling at people and I guess uh, it works both ways. What? Yeah. Jeselnik. Yeah. Uh, Eastern European? Slovenian. Yes. So yes, yes. Slovenia. Yeah. Slovenia's where? Do we even know? Are you smart enough to know? No one's ever found it. No one's. <laughs> no one can. Uh, no one can tell you. It doesn't really exist. Yeah, it's like Narnia. I've told, no map. Uh, I've told this shitty story too many times, but I was so prideful to go to Sicily because my dad's Sicilian, and I wanted to find out where Santino was from. Two letdowns. One, I found out Santino wasn't our last name. It was my fucking grand great grandfather's first name. As it is, Santino's a common first name. Sure. So he was not a smart man, and surname on on a, on uh, on immigration paper, he thought surname name. You're, he know the, he knew the word sir and name, and thought that was like oh my the name I am sir I'm a sir. Was he dumb or was he just not educated? Like I think both. I think a little bit of yeah. both. I mean, if you if you sniff my bloodline, you can not a lot of bright people come sure. from. Sure. <laughs> it's like it's really jagged and sad. No, so I think he just wrote down Santino and no, nothing else. So Santino became my favorite. So we don't even know. And the second worst part was when I went to Sicily, my dad said, um, we're from a place called uh, Cacciamo. Cacciamo. It sounded so nice. I was like, oh, Cacciamo. That's beautiful. We went to Sicily and I asked a few people because we were trying to drive and find it. And a guy goes, uh, where, where? I said, it's Cacciamo. And the guy's like, Cacciamo. Uh, show, show. And I pull out Google Maps and I'm like pointing to it. And he's like, I was like, I think it's up here. And he sees, he goes, I, <laughs> he calls someone over. They're chatting and laughing. And he goes, it's Cacomo, Cacomo. I was like, perfect. <laughs> I was like, thank you. So that's, I was like, that, that makes me feel right about all the history of my, my family. That's funny. Like my parents would, always, they'd be like, uh, I think we're German. Like, I think we're Austrian. We don't, we're not really sure. They didn't care. Like they really didn't care that much and the grandparents on that side have been uh long gone and then when i kind of got some level of fame uh, there's only so many jesselniks and someone sure. reached out to me and she had married into the family she's like there's like there were like florida jesselniks georgia jesselniks and pennsylvania jesselniks all from these like three brothers who came over she married into the florida part of the family Oof. and went through that like ancestry.com right and found all this stuff and then sent it to me it was like, oh, Slovenia, this one town. I went back to my family, and I was like, look, here's actually where the Jeselniks are from. And they couldn't have cared less. Like, they were just like, <laughs> okay, like, whatever. whatever. Like, it didn't matter to them at all. No one wants to go to Slovenia and see the homeland. Uh, do your, is your family, uh, are you guys tight-knit? Like, are you close with your family? It's a big family. Uh, some of us are closer than others. You know, right. I'm the oldest of five kids. My bro- my, the youngest is my brother. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, I have very de- various degrees of closeness with my sisters, and that you know uh, ebbs and flows depending on what's going on. And uh, in their yeah. life or your life, uh, just life in general, both our lives. Sure, you yeah. know, just you know, it's like oh, you'll be fighting with one, and they have a kid, and you're like, okay, let's like let's bury this and uh, mm. and uh, and get closer. And I think as we get older, 
um, we figured things out a little better. So we're closer now, I think, than we, we were when I, when I was a kid. Sure. I mean, it, you grow up. At some point, you have to just get over bullshit. I think you fight, we fight when you're younger and you have bickering things. And then you reach a certain age when you're like, I really don't give a fuck about that shit. I have to let that go. Like, you have to just let shit go at some point. It's less me. I, I feel like I've let all that shit go. But I went from being like the black sheep of the family to the golden child. And right. Because of siblings, fame and money. Yes. And yeah. my siblings, like get annoyed they're just like enough mom like yeah we, we've like, we've heard his podcast we don't need to listen again we've seen the show we don't need to watch it again <laughs> like they almost like they my mom watches everything and the rest of the family watches like some things because they're just like so sick of my mom's enthusiasm but that's really sweet and is it, what about your old man does he care he cares but he's not like he's not like my mom you know he'll he's excited he'll watch it he'll watch it once he's very proud so he's a dad um, he's, he's just a, a traditional dad. dad yeah, yeah. that's like what dads do i feel like no dads understand b- what podcasts are no and like it's, it's kind of no wonderful idea. i don't want my dad to know what any of this shit is i know i know yeah, yeah because it just i feel like um uh the stuff that's still for them is like when you do things on tv or something that's easily accessible even though podcasts are so unbelievably like simple to find, parents can't, and I'm so happy that they don't. Oh, my mom li- will like listen to it multiple times and like make people sit and like sit quietly and listen to it. Really? Uh, my dad just like doesn't understand what it is. It would be like if I was like like he understands television, but if I was like I want to put on the show, I want to put on a show in the living room for the family, he'd be like, right. well, "What do you eight? Like he doesn't get. <laughs> yeah. It seems like make believe. He doesn't understand that you can make money and that but it's it is a real it thing. is make believe. This is this. I often sit back and I'm like, this is funny that this is our job. This is like this. This is your gig. I mean, I don't listen to any podcast, so it yeah. all just seems like it's going into the ether. You know, it I is. have my own podcast, and that's it. And yeah. even that is like, I don't want to have a guest because I don't want to have to keep asking people. You know what I mean? Like, I opened a door at the comedy store by saying yes to one person's podcast, and now I'm like, okay, like. Like, am I enjoying myself right now hanging out with you? Yes. Yeah. Did I want to drive here? No. No. Uh, but I did it. And I've got, like, I think I, I, think I have to do, like, Aaron, Eric Griffin's. And then I'm like, no more. Just but bail I feel on like his. I can't. Just bail on his. He's, he's been asking because once you see someone doing the rounds, you yeah, know what I, I mean? Know. It's like if you do somebody's alt show. Every alt show in the city starts hitting you up, right, and you're right. like, "No, I just did that one. Like, I'm not. <laughs> I like to get paid for these things. That's so funny. These are like little alt shows. Yeah, but the good thing is you're kind of uh, twisting promotion as far as like getting people to hear more about what you're doing because you're new. You have well, you have you technically have two podcasts. I mean, you have one, but they're both. You know, you have Good Talk, which is your show, good, but yeah. that is on a pod. That's still on the podcast yeah. app, and then you have your original podcast that you did first. Um, the Vanity Project with Rosenthal or Berg. What's the difference? All these Greg Rosenthal. Greg Rosenthal. Yeah. And then who is he, by the way? I don't know. He is my best friend from college. We've been friends for like over 20 years. I'm godfather to both of his kids and he's an analyst for the NFL Network. Like he's on, he'll be on camera. He writes articles and stuff. He has his own uh, football podcast with some other guys. But uh, we just thought it was like an interesting dynamic of like, I'm this like monster, but I'm also like Godfather. Like I'm also like I can be a good friend. So it's like yeah. it really it started out as we're going to talk about sp- like off the field sports issues, and now it's become kind of like a like an investigation of male friendship. Do you know what I mean? Like in that people, right. way that people people enjoyed the podcast, I would never think would be into it. Like you guys met when you were in college, or did you know each other prior or no? No, we met freshman year of college, Tulane, right? Yes. So you met at college in Tulane, New Orleans, and then. Now that you're what 
15 plus years removed from school, whatever, 17, 18, whatever it is, are, do you still have the same relationship with him that you did before? Or is it, or is it shifted a little bit in terms of like your closeness? Like, do you feel like you're closer now or were you closer then? Mm, we were probably closer then because we almost just had each other. You know what I mean? Like we were like, right. we, we had fr- a group of friends, but we would like every year you'd move into a different house and we always stayed together. But we'd have different people move in with us. Right. And then now he's got a wife and kids. So there's like going to be a barrier there. But as we get older, like I don't have a lot of really close friends. So Nobody he's probably does. like the closest. And uh, I, I think in a way we're closer. We know each other better. You know, we are we, like we never get mad at each other. We never fight. We like truly are best friends. But, you know, he's got other priorities. You know, he's yeah, got things family. to do. Exactly. Yeah. And my life is very hedonistic that uh <laughs> that we try to hang out when we can but uh we're not we're not going on benders together well see like i always get asked this question if you met that person today would you be friends with them now and that's something i go through this a checklist in my mind mentally with all my friends like my wife said it a thousand times she's always like have you met that guy because there's people that i introduce her to she's like you like that guy mm-hmm. and she's like i'm like i fucking i known him for you know whatever and she's like if you met him today would you be friends with him and it's poignant because there's a lot of people that I'm still probably friends with that I, if I met them today, I probably, we wouldn't link up. I understand what you're saying, but it's like, it would be like, oh, your old war buddy. Like if you met him just now right. in his bar, would you be friends? It's like, you don't understand. We went to war together. Yeah, like, we have, we yeah. Meeting someone when you're, when you're 18 years old in New Orleans and then having like four years together of insanity, like it, like it was like just a bonding experience. And there was, we, we talked about this sometimes on our show where there was one time where we had to leave the city. There was like a hurricane coming. This is pre-Katrina. But they're like, you've got to go. And you can't leave your car in the street. Like your car will be gone if you leave it here. Fuck. So my friend, we, had, we all drove to Houston. And one of my friends had this like really nice Land Rover, leather seats, AC, stereo system. And then my friend Greg, I didn't have a car, but my friend Greg had this old fucking Nissan, no AC, like nothing but pavement CDs. And he was like, please ride with me. And I like, don't go in the nice car. Like, even though everybody wants to ride, just with, it was just me and him for like 12 hours driving wow. with the heat on, trying to keep the car from overheating, that it was like so miserable. And we talked about like everything we could talk about right. that, that we were, became best friends after that. Like it was, and we were like inseparable after that, that like, it doesn't matter if we met now, like would I be friends with them now? I think I would like him. I'm not in the market for new friends. You know what I mean? It's like it's <laughs> yeah, tough no, to no. become friends. The store's with me closed. Now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that store's and closed. I don't know if you know this with comedy, but like one of the, I think about this all the time that like as you're coming up as a comedian, and we we've only known each other for a couple of years. Like yeah. I don't remember like coming up with you. I don't know where did you start. No, see, I started in L.A., but the difference was I went to the store uh, in, when I first moved here in 06, 07, really. And the store was dynamically different. I've talked about that before, how different it was. It was awful. Oh, it was I hated fucking it. shit. So I poked around here. And then I disappeared from any sort of club scene f- until I would say maybe five to seven years. I finally came back into like the store because the store had changed, obviously. But I would just poke around on East Side and West Side shows. I would do like small little baby bar shows and all that stuff. I didn't want to do. The club shit until it now transformed into something legit. I just didn't. I it was not for me. So I would do small little shitty bar shows a lot. But I started in L.A., so I built from scratch, and it was fucking hard. I came here with no friends and no connections. And oh, I did the same thing. It was a nightmare. It was a fucking nightmare. Did you like? I found that 
I found that people, like, after I've been doing it for like a year or two, I heard, like, you're not supposed to start in LA. Yes. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. I was like already living here when I decided to do stand up, but I wouldn't be the comic that I am if I started anywhere else. Same. It took, I think, like, I knew my path was going to be a slow burn. Like, and I just could feel it, but I also. I've always had to work, so I always had jobs. You know, when I first started, I had jobs, day jobs all the time. So I think that also held me back a lot in terms of, like, not 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 ascension or growth, but, like, in in meeting more people and hanging longer. Like, I just, my schedule was, was shit because I always had jobs. And then I had a lot of friends that didn't have to have, didn't have to work, and I was always so fucking jealous. I was like, these guys don't have to fuck. It was, it's awesome. I was jealous at the time, too, because I always had a day job. I was yeah. lucky enough that I would, like, got into the accounting world for TV shows. Ah. So not only was I out at six so I could get to an open mic, and they were, like, supportive of that, even though they didn't believe that anything was going to happen. Yeah, they're like, this it. guy's going to fucking uh, it. But also, when the TV season would end, you get unemployment. Right. So for six months after the show, like, a TV show would end, I worked on... The show American Dreams and the same boss brought me to Deadwood for a season, and then the show called The Unit at the end. And uh, and once you get laid off, uh, you had six months where it was like you were a professional open micer. I'd write all day, right, and then go to open mics at night and cl- get a check for a lo- to me what to me uh, what to me at the time was a lot of money. What was it? Do you, what were they the unemployment checks? Do you I want to say it was like if you didn't take any taxes out, it yeah. was like seven hundred. You know, That's but good. you would get crushed at the end of the year because right. you owed a lot. But once you, if you had taxes taken out, it was like five something. But that was like a week, and that was all I needed. Like that was For like sure. you covered your rent in a week, and then the rest was fast food and, and whiskey. You right. know that I. That I uh, <laughs> That That's kind of still what my money goes to right that now. That I enjoyed. But those people that you come up with in the beginning, you like you gravitate towards people who are. I feel like your level are better. You know what I mean? You don't want to hang out with like the shitty comics right. unless they're like really fucking cool off stage and don't care about how shitty they are on right. stage. But then you become, you like form these friendships. And then as you get like to that next level of success, everyone splits because yep. you're on the road. They're on the road. They're making movies. You never see those people anymore. You have to make a whole new group of friends. Uh, it's hard, like right? You continue to do it more and more and more as you like go through little different like uh, lumps in your career over like chunks of people that you grab gravitate to, and you guys link up for short periods of time, and then it kind of goes away. Then it starts again. Then it goes away. Mm-hmm. That's it's that's been the weirdest adjustment as I've go- grown older and 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 you know had my career continue. It's just like people that you grab onto. You're like, man, I wish we could be closer. It's just no time. There's just no time. Like yeah. you wish you could, but it's fucking impossible. You know, and there's a lot of people that I always assume. Like, I love Sarah Silverman, yeah. you know, and yeah, she's we, great. we're friends. And I'm like, like the, a couple months ago, I was like, do you want to get lunch? And she was like, I'd love to. Like, let's get, let's hang out. And I was like, you're one of those people who I just assume you're busy all of the time. Right. Like, I, I never think to reach out to you. And she's sitting at home like, I'd love to have lunch with you. Like, you just, it's, it, you, you, it's rare to have the confidence to even ask someone to hang out because you know how precious time is for everyone. Yeah. And it's like. It was like I don't want to say the name, but somebody was like, "Let's get coffee," and I was like, "I don't fucking, I don't get coffee with like I've got, <laughs> I've got things." I to wish do. you would say the fucking name. I was it like a, like? And I'll say this because it's like I do like the guy, like Chris Porter, and I were talking one night, and he's like, "Let's exchange numbers, man. Let's get lunch sometime." And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And he texts me, he's like, "Lunch this week," and I was like, "No." And then just never, never again. Never again. <laughs> I've introduced him at the store and been like, he asked me to get lunch once. I said, no, we haven't talked about it since. Chris Porter, everybody. <laughs> and he like thinks it's hilarious. It is fucking funny. But it's true, though. You can't. It's so hard to coordinate shit. Like, you know, I, I, like I feel like when I could have had lunch, when I can get lunch with people or something or a coffee, 
nobody can. And then when they're like, hey, uh, this week or next week, and I'm like, I feel like I'm lying because I'm like, dude, I literally can't. I don't have one day with a gap to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then I leave town for Thursday, then I'm back, then I leave again. Then I, I think just like the holes are just filled on accident. Do you know what I mean? It's like it just has to be kismet almost when someone's like, yeah, I'm in town for three days. I'm like, dude, that's great. I'm here. Like this is let's hang out because otherwise I just there's shit happening. It's like too hard to it's too hard to control that stuff. Do, who was the first person that you were friends with in kind like when your first stand up friend, your closest first stand up friend? It took a long time for me to make any friends. Well, because, who was the one? You had to have one that you linked sure, up with. Sure, eventually, like, I... Because I remember, like, being... Like, I would do stand-up sets about how weird I, weird I thought it was that no one liked me. But, right. like, think about what I looked like at 23 when I was starting. Right. And as, as soon as I got on stage, everyone fucking hated me. Yeah. Um, they still hate you, but it's just they yes. love that they hate you. Yes, yes. Uh, well, now they're, like, they can at least be, like, well, he writes, you know, jokes. But that time, they're, like, look at this pretty boy. Uh, fuck him. And uh, <laughs> and I was just different than everybody else. But there's this guy, Eric Moneypenny, who I think still does a little bit. Do you remember Eric Moneypenny? No, I'm, th I'm like, cr I'm crashing my brain when you said that. I was like, that's either a, a joke name or a, like a bit was coming. But Moneypenny, I don't remember Eric he was, Moneypenny. I remember he hated people. People would like make fun of his name when mm. they introduced him and he despised it. He would like lose his mind. It is a they, shitty name. It's, I think it's a cool name, but it, you're going to get the same joke about James Bond yeah, all stupid. the time. Yeah. And he was just like, I've heard it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he did impressions. And uh, that didn't help the money penny thing, by the way. He actually, he was like, a, he did great impressions. And he was like with Brillstein Gray. He was like, I'm going to be an SNL and be the next Jimmy Fallon. Uh. And then it didn't happen right away. And I don't think he would even argue with me saying this, but he got like a little bitter and kind of fell out. Like he was like, he was kind of this cute guy who had like just did great impressions and had some funny Galifianakis type stuff. Huh. But I think he still might be doing it a little bit. But uh, we worked together at ArcLight at one point. Like he was working at ArcLight. You're a ticket taker. What were you doing? Uh, they like you're like a jack of all trades. Like they make you do a little bit of everything. Huh. And he'd been there for a while, and I'd just gotten fired from a job. It's like you'd have that six months of unemployment. It would run out, and you'd be like, fuck, I don't fuck. remember how to look for a job. Right. Like you feel like you know the rug's been taken out of you. He'd, he, uh, I worked for a school, and they fired me right away. And uh, What were you doing at a school? It was a school for like emotionally troubled kids. That was, like, Did you go to by, that like, school? A synagogue. No. No. I, just, I was like a teacher's assistant. Uh. And they said, Anthony, it's like having an extra emotionally troubled teenager in the room. Like, I would try to joke around with them, and they never got my jokes, and I would just start fights. Like, it was brutal. <laughs> I got fired, and I was like, I need money right now. I got into Arclight, which was humiliating, because people would be like, I'll take a large popcorn, and you were really funny at Largo last night. Oh, I was just God, like, that's crazy. But my friend Eric, and I talk, tell the story all the time, because it's the hardest I've ever laughed. You know how, like, at Arclight, they do, like, that speech before the movie? Yeah, for people that don't know, listeners, by the way, ArcLight Movie Theater, very famous here in Los Angeles, and yes, they do. They yeah, they do a, like a beginning welcome to the show. Yeah, it's type got of like shit. assigned seats, and this people comes in. They're like, you're gonna you're gonna see this movie. Welcome to ArcLight. Right. It's this many hours long. It stars this person, and they have different things they say. And Eric and I would try to see who could do the longest one, <laughs> and I was really bad at it. I would bail right away. Like I would start doing it and start to laugh and just like stop. Right. He could go for 15 minutes. Shut and up. I would be on the side. And people are like bewildered. Like they're like, they just keep waiting for it to end. And he's like, and if you go to the gift shop, we have, and he would go on and on with a dead straight face. That was the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. That, that was Money Penny? Yes, that was Money Penny. Very funny. I mean, that's so such a great funny. bit. Did you guys ever get in trouble for that shit? 
they eventually separated us. Like I only worked there for three months before another accounting job came because it was like the pay was so low. Yeah. And it was so humiliating. It was like fire. It was it was brutal. That's yeah. so funny that they separated you. What a ch- what a childish move. We once when we worked at Arclight, we used to run an open mic at this place called M Bar. Do you remember M Bar? Yes, but I can't remember where, but I know the name sticking out in my brain. It's where they used to do Comedy Bang Bang, which ended up becoming, or Comedy Death Ray, which became Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and then they would do more comedy shows, and now it's like... Yeah, M-Bar, yeah, I do remember it. And there was an open mic on Mondays that was actually like really popular because people thought you could get on Comedy Bang Bang if you did did well at the open mic, which was not true. Right. But Eric and I were like trying to think of ways to like get more people there, and we put up this thing on like some message board. I forget what they were like. There were a couple like comedy message boards. Sure, there was, yeah. And we put one up that was like, "We're from Stronghold Management, and we're holding tryouts for our version of Last Comic Standing. We represent Hoobastank, and (laughs) and we like tried to make it like funny enough that people would realize what it was. Right. And we're like, we can't stop you from lining up. But if you're gonna line up, like, don't do it before noon for this eight o'clock open mic. Mm -hmm. And then we showed up in suits and ties with fake mustaches on and we sat next to the stage with microphones and heckled people during their set to be like you think you're gonna get a leno with that like <laughs> and literally the entire open mic community turned on us and as soon as they we walked in the room because people believed us and pi- packed into this place until they saw it was you as soon as they saw us in suits with mustaches they were like fuck and then it just got madder and madder as it went until yeah. people re- and like as we're heckling them from the side they're getting angrier. And then people are just... I remember a girl named Gentle Phoenix flipping oh, dude. the fuck out. I remember Gentle Phoenix. Gentle Phoenix lost her mind on us because we. she was doing something like grabbing her butt. And she was one... There was like a group of people who were like, get five minutes and do that five minutes until you die. Right. Oh, my God. They're, they're still out there. I don't know. They're, there was, they're there. Like someone taught a class that was like, that's what uh-huh. you do. And, they were, and it was like all of those people showed up for this thing. <laughs> And we were just destroying their five minutes that they were losing it. <laughs> Did you tape this? I wish you filmed it. No. Fuck, that would have been worth it, man. It. That would have been perfect to show today. People at the, I remember people who worked at the bar thought it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen, and everyone else just hated us. I mean, it is the great. I mean, that's one of those moments where you're like, fuck, I wish we could have captured that. But that is like lightning in a bottle for back then when you could get away with shit because you're young, you didn't care, there was no repercussions. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of mm-hmm. like, what was the difference? It didn't really matter. Now today, like... It's almost like uh, that's one thing I do miss about starting out in stand-up. You definitely have more fun. Performance, you don't have as fun as much fun because now your jokes are stronger, your writing's better, your present everything is so much stronger and more tight. But you also get locked in. Like David yeah. Mamet had this famous thing, well, famous to me anyway. It was something I read that like when you start out as an artist, you start out like basically in, I think the very beginning, and you have total creative freedom. Right. Like your first time on stage, there's nothing you couldn't have done. That would, they would have been like, oh, it's weird that he's juggling. You know, they don't know you yet. Right. And then as you become more established, like people, you get locked into what it is that you do and you spend the rest of your career trying to get back to total freedom. Yeah. Like when you were starting out, you might be like, there's four people in the audience. I'm going to go up and do something just weird and wacky. Ugh. Then now you can't do, I couldn't do that. No. I'm like, people, these people, I'm, I'm a name. People have an expectation. Right. And I have to lo- live up to it. And if you, if you divert too much from what you typically do, you, I mean, you, you can do that, but you get a lot of backlash. You get a lot of, you know, a lot of kickback until finally people come full circle and then they like it again. Like, I, I always say this, like, Bobcat impressed me because people don't know Bobcat from when we knew him when I was young. He had this very, this voice, and it was this character that he used to play. And now Bobcat doesn't do that at all. He does stand up, and his writing is incredible, and his directing is, he's transformed himself into this other thing. 
but it took him a long time to like break the He had thing. to eat a lot of shit. He had to yeah. do a lot of shows where people were like, do the voice. And now people going to see him don't expect the voice. And you well know, they like, don't they don't know it existed. You know yes. what I mean? Like a lot of younger com- a lot of younger audiences now don't even know. You wanna hear a great uh a great Bobcat story? Fuck yeah. This is from the mouth of Bobcat himself. I'm sure he would not be uh upset I'm telling this. Um he's in uh doing Denver comedy works. Um, he's doing a week, a, w- a week in Denver and he's like every single show he's eating shit. Like he is just bombing, bombing. and he only like the stand up just to get more money to like do his next movie. Right. Know, That's all he really movie. wants. And he's just getting through it and he's doing the late show on Saturday. Like they do make you do three shows on Saturday. Sometimes it's like the midnight show. Oh. He's eating it. The whole crowd's yelling at him. They're like, do the voice, do the voice. He's like, no, I don't do the voice. Do the voice. No. These people in the back scream out and they go. Hey, we're from Aurora. Do the voice for us. And he goes, oh, you're from Aurora? Well, at least you learned to sit in the back. And (laughs) this was maybe like a year after the movie theater shooting in Aurora. Jesus. And he says, he's like, as soon as he says it, he feels so good about himself that it makes the entire week worth it. Like, he just like was so happy he said that to them. Right. And he said he's never seen anything like this before, where the entire audience, the people in the back, the people in the front, everywhere, just pretended he didn't say it. <laughs> they didn't get mad. They didn't laugh. They didn't just... boo. They just pretended like it did not happen. And then he moved on with the rest of his set. Wow. And they never mentioned it. Because they could all feel it. It was kind of one of those like mutual like. They were just like, we don't know how to, like what to do. He, What's like, the if, response, if, yeah, right? We were just going gonna to pretend you, this didn't happen. Wow. Like, That's amazing. His, his shift was pretty incredible. I opened for him, I don't know, four or five years ago at South By. And we had never met, and I told him I, I liked him, and I remember um, watching his stuff and being just like blown away at the transformation, at the at the difference of like just shedding all that stuff and him being so uniquely who he is now. And I think that's powerful, man. I think it's a ho- fucking such a hard thing to do. People don't know that because you are people. I know you as you, and I know you. I know your comedy, but they're not the same thing. And a million people think that they are right. Mm-hmm. Similar to like. So I'm like Theo. Theo is this dynamic kind of cartoony character. Um, and I think people sometimes expect that so much that it must be a little frustrating when it, that they want you to always be the thing that they see. And it's because you do it so good that they're like, isn't that? Well, I, it gets me into trouble all the time. Yeah, it's, it's got to be constant for you. Well, because like I, it, what happens is I assume someone knows or like I assume they're like a big fan and I'll be like, they'll be like can I get an autograph? And I'm like, go fuck yourself. And sometimes they laugh really hard right. and then I sign whatever it is and, and then they go, they smile and they're like, cool man, like give me like a fist bump and leave. And sometimes they look horrified and run away and I'm like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Or like I assume like the waiter recognizes me and I'll make a joke and right. they do not. No. You know, it's like if I, if I go into the character and people aren't expecting it, it goes, it goes bad really fast. Have you had someone, have you had someone in public do that where you're like kind of in a public space and you do... This this character this caricature characterized version of yourself, and it backfires so bad that it's like now caused everybody to fucking feel it. Like, have you done it in a big a, a, a public space where everybody saw it, and it's like, well, now you're the asshole. Yeah, yeah. I did. I was getting off an airplane, and uh, I'm in like the fir- I'm in first class. I'm like two rows back, and this guy in like the front, like as soon as the plane lands, is like, no one get up. He's like, I got I got uh, t- two rows back. I got to get my bag. So please don't stand up until I get my bag. And everyone's like, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. And as soon as we pull in, everyone stands up. Of course. I stand up, like I'm in the aisle. And he like reach, he gets up, like all pissed off, 
reaches like past my head, gets his bag and pulls it out. And is like, that could have been a lot easier. And I laugh and I go, it's still pretty easy, man. And he turns around and stares at me and you could just feel the entire energy change. Like yeah. flight attendants are like, fuck. Like, and I'm just <laughs> like, I'm like, why did I open my mouth? Like, what am I, and what am I going to do? Like, Nothing. we just had to stand there and stare at each other until they opened the fucking doors. And uh, I was like, I don't know why I thought yeah. this would, like, people would be, because if people laugh, I've gotten in a lot of trouble where I've made a joke that if people had just laughed at, it would have been fine. Right. But the fact that no one laughed, I'm in some real trouble. Ugh. You know, especially a roasty thing. Like, I've burned so many bridges just talking shit backstage and some, I hurt, really hurt someone's feelings. And it connected. Yeah. Like it just linked too close. Yeah, the, the things I say to people, I'm like, if anyone ever talked to me like that, I'd hate them forever. I guess it takes a lot to understand, like, you know... I just I like I get your humor I get it so it's just so easy for me to not grasp it I would I guess maybe I'm keen enough with people to understand if it was real I would know I think that some people have insecurities like listen after like after Brody Stevens passed I was he died yeah you didn't hear about that (laughs) Uh, I was a little more sensitive where I would like be fucking around with a comic on Twitter and then write and be like you know I love you right like I'm just fucking around it's a joke and they were always like yeah I get how jokes work and I'm like I'm sorry. Since Brody, I'm like doing. I'm like going the extra mile just to make sure that everyone knows. Right. Well, there's a there becomes heightened levels of sensitivity in the comedy community as soon as something happens, whatever it is. When somebody dies, when somebody commits suicide, when you know, like I think there is this weird, you know, like John Witherspoon passed away, and so many comics had spoon stories, and it was wild to read, and you kind of forget how because his son JD, who's who's do you do you know him? Have you ever met him? No. Um, and, and if I have, I did not know it was with the spoon. Well, and, and if people don't know John Witherspoon, who is a fucking phenomenal comedian actor, um, you know, I mean, uh, and the biggest workhorse. I mean, I never met the man, but I, d- it, n- I never went to a comedy club where I didn't see a poster for him coming. Yes, like you know, like a, like a week or two behind me. Up and up until he died in his, I, I want to say this was his seventies or something. He was like, I don't, th- I don't think I knew him not working. You know, like I don't think I, I don't think I ever heard of like. Oh, where's that guy been? Never have heard that. Mm-hmm. And for people that uh, want reference, um, he was the father in Friday. It's probably the most famous thing that most people would, you know, I guess America would kind of know him from. But he's been in so many fucking things. He was a fixture of the, for the Wayans brothers. I think they used him constantly. Um, but anyway, his son had posted a few things on Twitter and also on Instagram being like, thanks for the, thanks for the kind words, but also I think it's fucked up how people forget that like, the, the inter- this is the internet, but like I still have to like live. Like I still have a life when this is over. Like when your condolences are done and your stories are done, like my family still has to sit with it. And I don't think he meant it in any other way other than exactly what that is. Is like I appreciate it, but this isn't. It doesn't fucking matter. And I f- I felt that. Like when I, when I read it, I was like, that's legit. And he and people have every right to like say those things because when people do die, it's like everybody feels like they want to get their me 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 thing out. And I get it because we all do it, but I think we all forget that it's like, oh, it's not about you. It's not about you. And I'll, I mean, sometimes I, I like the stories that, that are shared. Yeah. You know, like uh, Roy Wood Jr. was sharing stories yes. that, like, that he knew that I was like, oh, I didn't know this about him. Yeah. That I liked. I just wish that people got that out there while he was still alive. Totally. You yeah. know, tell him. There are certain people that I tell every time I see them, like, you're, you're the man. I respect you so much because I want them to know. Right. You know, while they're still here. I hate that, like, oh, they're dead now. And I understand it makes you think of things and you want to, like, put things out there. But, I mean, fuck, I did a whole special about this, man. About, like, you know, making making someone's tragedy about yourself. Yes. Um, and I, I really do just wish that people did it more. 
uh, while they were still alive. Have you ever have gone. you ever given someone love uh, and you didn't mean it? Do you know when you do? You, I like I've done this thing where, you know, when I, I like I've said to somebody like I like their stuff, but I really don't. Yeah, have you ever done that? I used to always, like if someone gave me a compliment, yeah. and I was so different when I first started that I got like a lot of compliments. Um, <laughs> that people would be like, oh, wow, like I didn't know you could, someone could like pull this off. Right. And I'd be like, oh, you're, and you're great too. And sometimes they would even look at me like, why, are you, why would you say that? Like I'm not, like I'm not doing what you're, like I'm hack. Compared they knew to, they weren't good. Yes. And finally, I like, I was like, you know what? My opinion means a lot. That like, if like a fan like made a joke, like I don't, I unless it makes me legitimately laugh. Like I won't f- polite laugh because then I'll see sure. a tweet like I made Anthony laugh, and I'm like, or they say something like horribly racist, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not giving you anything. Like I'm. Well, not, those are my favorite fans. This. You know that. Of course, of course. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but I was like, I'm gonna stop telling comics unless I truly mean it that uh, that I'm a fan. Yeah. And I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it. And poor Tammy Pescatelli. <laughs> walked up to me in Montreal, <laughs> like right after I decided. I didn't, and I had never done it yet that I didn't know how. And she walked up and she was like, Anthony, I just want to say I think you're so funny. And I just went, thank you. And then just, we just <laughs> stared at each other. And she walked away and I was like, I could have been nicer about it. Like I didn't have to be like, oh, like you're amazing. Like I love, like your, your work's incredible to me. Uh, but I was just like, so like, thanks. But and I think like that's mean. right. That's the right thing to go, thank you. I don't think people. I don't think people in comedy for years give the the quote "good set." Good set is an old, famous, you know, comedy phrase. Good set, yeah, good set. It's like a thing that people do in the open mic world is where it brews, and then you lose it at some point because nobody cares enough to do that shit anymore. It's kind of like unless you really had a good set, I I almost never say it anymore. You know what I mean? I never say, even to my fucking closest friends. I just don't care anymore. Well, you know how like like me and you will be backstage. Yeah. You know, and like you hear like someone like the guy, somebody's getting off stage, and you and I will do that thing where you like you kind of like we're not like audibly clapping, but you just move your hands because you're just so used to yeah. that yeah. like that Pavlovian thing. Yeah. That it used to be like good set. You would just say it. And one time, ah, uh, fuck, who was it? I forget his name. He was like an older comic who'd doing it forever. Yeah. And had had like the worst set of his life. At the, where was it at? At the store? Uh, it was at the it was at UCB. It was oh, okay. at the UCB Franklin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in the green room and I had no idea. And he walked in, I was like, Good set, man. And I can sound like I sound sarcastic even when I'm like being dead you honest. You do, man. Even that, when that, you that say he it. that he didn't speak to me for like a year. And then I was like, What's the pro-? and he was like, Oh, that one time you were like, and I was like, I didn't hear your set. I just said good set to whoever. Like, right. And then I just stopped. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to say good set again. And now I'm kind of around people who are confident enough that mm-hmm. they don't need to hear good set. You well, know? It's almost like annoying to be like, oh, you like that? Yeah. Like, it almost, it's oh, almost almost demeaning when you go good set and people are like, what? Yeah. Don't fucking, don't oh, do that. Oh, you, you approve of what just happened up <laughs> yeah. there? Like, yeah. I, the last time, uh, this just brought me, in my mind, brought me to a place. I, the last time I did UCB Franklin, um, TJ Miller had just ended Silicon Valley, whatever the fuck happened. I don't know if, he, you know, there was all these rumors that like he quit and there were people that said he got fired anyway, but TJ showed up, <clears throat> uh, shit host with a bottle of like bullet bourbon in his, in his jeans. Like he had stretched his jean pocket so much that a fucking, a bourbon bottle could fit in there. It was br- kind of brilliant. And, um, he was sloshing around and he got on stage and he was talking pretty candidly about Silicon Valley, whether or not he should have. He was just kind of, kind of like just letting it all out. And I think it was so jarring to the audience that at first they were like enjoying because it's TJ and he's you know very lovable and loud and big and fun. 
and then they kind of got like, God, he's fucking like wasted. This is like weird, you know? And he was divulging, divulging, divulging. And it was, you know, arguably going south. <laughs> I'm not trying to shit on DJ, but it was not. It was weird. It was just there was no jokes. The rhythm was off. It was very strange. It was almost like a confessional therapy lesson. And he got off stage and people were kind of quiet and weird in the green room. Like kind of like, oh, hey, you know, hey, what's up? Like, because it was just awkward. And I wasted no time. And then I like walked up to him. He's like, hey, man, I'm like, dude, you fucking ripped. And he started laughing. And I was like, okay, good. He knows. Like, I was like, somebody had to make the joke of being like, you killed, dude. That was dope. That yeah. he was conscious enough to feel, because he felt it. There's no fucking way he didn't feel how weird it was. I don't care if you were drunk, if he was like, you know, uh, totally out of it. It was so fucking weird that I was like, dude, you fucking killed. He was like, thanks. Like, he, fe- he got it. And that's the only time for me that I do it when I know that they know they didn't do good. Then it's fun to me again to be like, let's let's wipe our hands of this. Yeah, like you, you, you ate shit. It's not that big of a deal. Like let's fucking walk away. And you got you can be like good friends with someone and fuck with them. You know, I always love the uh, what happened. You know, that's what, always fun to what do. Happened? How'd you feel about it? Is yeah. a great. How'd thing. you feel about that? Uh, I've had friends host SNL and they've been like, "How'd you feel about it?" And they're just like, "Fuck you, man." It's <laughs> so hard. Um, but how uh, do you think you did? That's yeah. How do you think you did up there? Yeah, how do you, what did you... Uh, I know how I think you did. How do you, you feel about it? Uh, I, did, I was trying out new stuff one night, and I walk off, and, and uh, Chris Rock goes, Anthony, he's, sitting, he's just sitting in the back of, of the OR. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He goes, nah, like does the hand thing <laughs> like that, and I'm like, fuck you. I told you it was, all, it was all new stuff. Like, I'm just working out like talk show bits right now, right? and you got to fucking step in and tell me... Uh, that's great. Tell me it's just... Hey. Yeah. Because yeah. that's so real. When you have like... I, this is, uh, I worked with a writer. I've worked with a writer a bunch named Frank Sebastiano. Do you yeah. know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like legendary. He's Big like one roast of the greatest, guy. Yeah. yeah. And one of the greatest joke writers ever. We have so much respect for each other. And there was like a time where it was just me and him working on this project for, for a couple of weeks. And he would pitch jokes and I would pitch jokes. And we were like, we're both such confident joke writers that if someone had one that was bad, we would just laugh about how fucking bad it was. And like, there was no ego in it. It was like, <laughs> yeah, that joke sucked, you know? Yeah. Like that we could give each other shit where I've had writers who worked for me where I could never do that, you know, right. where it's like, the, I'm going to ruin their day if I shit on this joke. Let's just like move on. Uh, that well, I like being around people who have that confidence. In the roast rooms, it. it's got to be this delicate balance because not everyone that does roast joke writing or just writes jokes in rooms can handle when it's either a little too much or, I mean, people all have sensitivities. So did you ever experience when you were writing? Because you did, how many How many rows total? Four have you done? How many have you done? I wrote for one and then I did three of them. Right, so four total. And in all of those, which you arguably write for all of them anyway, you know, you're writing, you're writing, you wrote just for one for others and then you did and performed, which is you writing your own shit anyway. Yeah. So like when you go in those rooms and you're sitting with writers that are doing those shows, is there mo- are there moments where jokes don't land and it like it messes up the rhythm of the room and it's kind of off and uncomfortable and weird because you're taking shots at fucking everything yeah not really because there's so many it's like because they'll be like all right there's eight writers in the room today right all right all you guys write jokes that pam anderson can say about anyone on the dais or like now we've done that for an hour now write jokes about pam anderson that anyone could say now write jokes about Pam Anderson that Charlie Sheen could say. Like they'll give you assignments, and then you read through them, and you just put them all up on the board, and the head writer reads them. Or that's what happened at the time that I was there. And if the room laughs, great. If it doesn't, you just keep moving. And there's no accountability. That's it's great. It's not like 
oh, Justin, like that joke fucking blew. It was just like, because you've got so many to get through. Right. That there was no, you know, and, and no one ever really wanted to argue for their joke either. No. Because things that were great that day wouldn't be great the next. People were dropping out. So you never wanted to get married to. Right. It's uh, a hill you don't want to die on. As long as you know you're doing well. Like if you're making the room laugh and you're like pleasant to be around. Like when I worked on Jimmy Fallon for a year, I barely got any jokes on, but I made the room laugh every day. You know, I was like the funny guy in the room. I wasn't like the Harvard writer. I was the comedian. Right. And so they all knew that I was funny and respected that, even if what I was getting on. And I, and I w- wasn't miserable about not getting stuff on. You, know, you did season one, like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. First year. People, what, people were like biting at the, like chomping at the bit to get their bits on. Mm-hmm. Like they really wanted to get their shit on. Yeah, because you're trying to shape the show and like, you know, uh, make yourself valuable to Jimmy. You know, you wanted to be, it was like a race to become Jimmy's right hand, like the writer that he would rely on the most. Sure. And as a monologue guy, I couldn't, I didn't care. I was just like, I'm just going to write the jokes. After I give them to you, it's up to you. Right. You, know, you can do these or not, but I'm, I know what I did. In here, we pour whiskey, whiskey. Today's episode is also brought to you by Uncommon Apothecary. Uncommon Apothecary is amazing CBD products. If you don't know what CBD is, it comes from the hemp plant. Um, it's such an extremely low amount of THC that it doesn't get you high, um, but it's going to stop you from from feeling bummed out. Um, I use CBD products, um, especially from Uncommon. UA is awesome, dude. They make great stuff um, that comes in all different forms. I like the gummy rings. The peach gummy rings are some of my favorite. High amounts of CBD that help me get to sleep at night to get rid of my tension, anxiety, um, a little bit of my depression. Um, I really like THC for that as well. But CBD really helps me at the end of the night slow the train down. You got to land the plane. You know, you can't be going 200 miles an hour all the time. Uh, you got to kind of cool it out so you don't grind your teeth at night and freak out and have a panic attack and wake up sweating and soak another comforter. Um, I highly recommend some of their stuff. Their reviews are incredible. Um, it's nice and strong, which I really like, but it's not going to get you stoned and ripped up. So don't worry, Dad. You can take it easy, but go to ua/cbd.com and uh, use the promo code GINGER20 at checkout. Get 20% off um, for all my Whiskey Ginger listeners and see why so many people are switching from uh, bullshit prescription medications to a natural alternative, which I am highly supportive of. And for every item that you purchase, UA is going to donate a dollar to local homeless shelters. So they're helping out other people while you help out yourself. So again, go to UA. Uh, slash cbd.com use the code ginger20 for 20% off at checkout it's worth it whiskey ginger is also brought to you by skillshare it's an online learning community that has thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills there's so many different things you can do um, on skillshare man from photography creative writing design productivity um, public speaking classes there's a ton of different stuff on here that can help you out. Um, I myself have dabbled a little bit in learning about taking my pencil and putting it on the iPad. Um, there's incredible uh, creative design classes that you can do. I'm not so good at drawing, not gonna lie. I can barely draw a stick figure, it's embarrassing. Um, but it is I- incredible. You can learn anywhere on the go. It's on your phone, um, mobile, it's, it's portable. And there's so many different kinds of classes that you can sign up for that kind of help your unique art. And it works with all different skill levels and uh, with all different areas and venues of, of, uh, of creativity. Um, it's important to uh, continue learning, man. So if you want to get yourself more learned, uh, you should do yourself a huge favor and go to Skillshare.com slash whiskey. 
uh, and you can get yourself two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free just for my Whiskey Ginger listeners. So while you're having a little sip-sap of some of the brown goodness in your glass, go ahead and open up your phone and go to Skillshare.com. Use the promo code WHISKEY um, to get yourself two months of unlimited access to classes for free. Learn while you're listening. Have some fun and enjoy. Ginger. I like gingers. Did you feel going into Fallon show that you were right for the job? I thought I could have been because uh, I'd written some stuff for like Sarah Silverman and Kimmel that like I knew I could write in that world. And I didn't know what the show was going to be yet. You know, it was like a brand new show. It wasn't right. like it came onto an existing property. And I was like, I'll get a chance to shape this the way that Louis C.K. and Robert Smigel shaped Conan. Right. And the show was, to be honest, such a hit right off the bat because of the roots and because of like Jimmy's kind of different energy that in his youth that they didn't really need me. They thought maybe they would need kind of a meaner, you know, gather yeah. some bite. And they ended up not. That, uh, that I thought maybe I, this will be like a great thing and realized immediately that it was completely different. And p- yeah. part of it wasn't so much Fallon. It was that late night wasn't late night anymore. You yeah, know, when Conan started, you could only see it if you stayed up until 1.30. Right. And when I got to Fallon, Fallon was the first guy to actually use the internet where the entire show was online the next day. Yeah. But it wasn't a late night show. It was a 24-hour show. Right. It may as well have been fucking Sesame Street. Yeah. You know, that I was like, oh, this is not... Uh, this is not what I signed up for. And I thought that I would be able to be on the show. And like in like, sketches or yes, bits? Like yeah. I thought I'd be right. like the, a the, player. the, the, um, not just a player, but like a major player, like the, uh, oh, what's his name? Cabin boy. Um, Oh, uh, Chris Elliott. Yeah, the, Elliot, like the Chris yes. Elliott of <clears throat> right. Letterman. Right. Where like the first week they have me in a sketch where I'm like in the audience going back and forth with Jimmy. Yeah. And it goes great. And then the next week they put me in another one where I'm a different character. That's what you, that's what like, you thought was going to happen. The, yeah. Well, I wasn't even sure, but once it started to happen, I was like, oh, yes, this will be more fun than even doing monologues. So the sure. first week I'm on the show. I'm like, great. Second week they put me on the show and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be on the show every week. And we're in rehearsal and they cut to me and Jimmy goes, cut. And I'm like, and he, go, he looks too much like he did last week. Let's like put a wig on him and some glasses or something. And I was just like, fuck. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be Anthony. Like, I'll be in some sketches, but it's not going to be Anthony Jesselnik. Whereas like Seth Meyers now, it's like, let's watch Amber Ruffin do this bit. You know, like the writers are almost the stars of the show. Sure. Whereas Jimmy didn't, didn't want that. Well, because I, th- I also think, and this is just a stupid opinion because I don't know shit, but I do feel like maybe the network or maybe the audience or an amalgamation of executives and producers have kind of transformed that show into an extremely web-heavy, promotable bit soundbite show. Like they want, can we get John Cena soundbite smacking him with a fish? And that becomes the most prominent parts of that show. That becomes the most loud, promoted, uh, obvious uh, formats of the show and whether or not, you know, whether or not that's what people like or not, it's just, I think it just, it, it divert, it, it, it ducked away from comedy and in terms of that world and more into celebrity performance, celebrity bit, celebrity, you know, see him sing, see him dance, see him hit golf balls, see him like do oh, bits, you know, yeah, see him drive a, you know, a fucking go kart through the hallway. Like yeah. it was like, what can we do that will be like easy and funny, even if you like, you're not good at it. Right. And like I, I, w- I took the job hoping to write for the guy from Weekend Update, and he right. wanted to get as far away from that as he could. And I was like, yeah. "You were so good at this, but okay, you know, like it wasn't about the funniest joke. It was like, what are the jokes that are going to make people like you? 
Right. Well, there, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think that the, the job took him there. I think the, you can blame the internet, if anything. If When people talk shit about The Tonight Show and they're like, I fucking, I don't want to see celebrities sing, you know what I mean? The truth is the internet is really to blame because those shows couldn't, Letterman couldn't survive with the format he had today. It wouldn't work. I mean, it's proof that, that a lot of shows that still try to do that don't work. They just don't stick around. And the internet is the reason. It's just, there's, n- I loved Letterman. Letterman was my fucking favorite. I love that he was biting. I love that he was sarcastic. He was kind of sardonic. He had almost this like just a, a beautiful little shade of darkness to everything he said was a little, it was a slight, you know? I mean, you can see it. Some of the best interviews are like him with Joaquin Phoenix when Joaquin was promoting his show, the 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 thing he did with Casey Affleck or, you know, watch any of the interviews he did with um, uh, the director of Kids. What's his fucking name? Why can't I think of his name? Oh, oh God. Harmony Corinne. Yes. Good God. Letterman was probably the only guy that I had seen because I was a huge Carson fan when I was a kid. I was like a f- obsessed. Carson Daly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Last Call was my show. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> I loved. I just. I just loved MTV culture. No, but <laughs> Carson, Johnny Carson was just so. I loved that he could have this sweet little twinkle in his eye, but I knew behind it he was shitting on you, and it, it was just so. You had to be so soft at it and so good at it. Letterman was that guy, and now. Uh, none of them take shots. None Never. of them. Not even. Well, because, not even a little bit. Because the, the power dynamic has changed. It used to be the celebrities needed to get on the show, right? You know, what I mean, so you were like beholden to Johnny. Yeah. And I always loved Johnny when he didn't like the guest. Yes, that and was my favorite. He would just lean back, and they were on their own. He would just kind of let them like. Oh, flounder. I loved it. It was like amazing. You saw him do it, and the guest was like terrified. But now the shows need the guests. A hundred percent. You know, like you couldn't like in the monologue, you couldn't make fun of people. Because we wanted to get them on the show. Ugh. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That half of the fun of old old late night shows was the monologue was like open season. I mean, they would fucking shit on everybody. And that, that was my favorite thing to watch was like them lighting up people. That's why I think what Che and Jost are doing at SNL is, is phenomenal. Because Che t- tends to be, in my opinion, the most balanced. Like I like him the most as writing because... He'll shit on a Democrat and then shit on a Republican in the same, you know, line of jokes. And I love that they they both take a lot of shots. You know what I mean? Some safer than others, but that used to be what I loved about monologues was like, how many times can I shit on something so obvious and stupid that we all know it's dumb and politically it may be, you know, not the best choice, but to take the shot. And people used to do it. Late night now, I just can't, I can't do it. I get so excitable. It's so happy. It's so bright. And you're like, at this time of night, shouldn't we be a little bit fucking And there's, there's frankly, there's just too many of them that, you know, everyone's doing the same thing that, like, the only one I can watch now, I can't watch SNL, I can't watch the late no. night shows. Yeah. I can watch, like, John Oliver once yeah. a week because yeah. he, like, does a deep dive and it's not, like, the exact same thing. But, the, you know, Weekend Update used to be special because it was, like, these are the best jokes of the week. Like, right. late night has to do their thing, but these are, like, they're going to take late night and do them, like, a little bit better. Because yeah. I had a week, and now that's not the case anymore. Now they're like, it's what hasn't been told already that they kind of have to. They have to right. deal with the dregs at the end of the week instead of being the uh, the main guys. It's too many shows. If you if you could have it your way, because um, you've had a lot of shots, quote unquote, or done your own thing a lot. Um, you've had you've had a TV show of your own, and it's like. Do you want to go back to that well ever again or no? Do you ever want to have you as a star of a of a television show, either cable or network? As oh, yeah. A I mean, I have my own show right now. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, do you want 
a scripted show? Do you no. want to be the star of scripted? Anything? I would like, I literally, after the Jesselnik offensive that I did like two seasons of, and that was kind of like, I did, I did a year of Fallon. I was like, what would my version of Fallon be? Mm. And I think a, a mistake a lot of people make with the first TV show, they try to do too much. Like they want it to be all things instead of just like, let's do something simple and right. just knock it out of the park. I want to be able to do a little of everything and spread myself too thin. Whereas if it, I think if it had just been a panel show, with like a little monologue up top, like it would have been different. But I wanted to do field pieces, which I was not good at. Right. I wanted to do like desk pieces, which were it was out of my wheelhouse. That if I had just stuck with the the panel and the monologue, it would have been right. better received. Um, whereas uh, then I, I I sold a show, and Tina Fey had said once in her book Bossy Pants, she was like, "Do not make a major life decision up until six months after you leave a job or lose a job huh. because your instinct is going to be to do the opposite right. of what you just did. Right. So the Jesselnick offensive was over and I was like, you know what? I want to do like a sitcom and like sold a sitcom to FX and then like got halfway through the script and like was like, I'm going to give you the money back. Like I didn't want to star in, be responsible for starring in writing and executive producing. It's a lot. Show that like someone was like, I want you to be in the show. Yes. I want you to produce this show. Yes. I'd like you to write this show. Okay. But all three together, it was like too much. That now the, with the good talk, my favorite thing about it is we had a few weeks to write everything, write all these questions. Then the show really happens in the moment because it's like it's follow-ups. It's, it's riffing on things. Right. And then the edit puts it all together. No matter how the show went, it always looks great in the edit. And it was just fun to do. And then you get to promote it four months after you did it. Oh, that's you know, great. the Jesselnick offensive, I was like, half the, half my time was making the show, the other half was promoting it, and it was just miserable. Yeah. Comedy Central, too, right? So their schedule's all over the place. So you, it's like you're you're constantly, they're, they're trying to pump out stuff like that as fast and hard as they can, especially when they get a new horse. Like, if they get a new show, like they, I feel like they want it, they want to pump it and, and inflate it and get it out there, and then it's, at some point it gets a little overwhelming and, and I don't know if people get turned off because it's so much, you know what I mean? I think like slow burn is better with like, watch this now and then I'll put out something in a little bit and then another thing in a little bit. But like when you hit people all the time with stuff, like on a, on a daily perspective, especially like, you know, all the new, sh- all, all their new shows, it's just, it's a lot, especially cause they have, they have so much content, you know, like comedy central has fucking like nine stand up shows and you're like, what what? What's and I don't on know. I don't know what's online and what's the real show. I have no idea. Like that live at the Comedy Cellar. I still don't know if that's like was I ever on. I think TV. that's online only. But like with my show, they'd be like, "Okay, you have extra stuff from the interviews. Let's use that to promote." And I'm like, "What's it promoting?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why not just use clips from the show if you want people to watch the show? Yeah. Showing them clips that aren't in the show, they might watch them. But it's not doing us any favors. Like, no. there's a reason it's not in the show. And there's some good. There's some good extras there, but. You know, Comedy Central put out digital stuff every week. And I'm fascinated by this, that the highest number of views we got on any video was not what Comedy Central put out, tweeted out, or that I would retweet. It was someone just really liked a bit I did with Kristen Shaw, some silly bit. They put it up on their DVR and then used their phone to video the the, the (laughs) thing and then put that online and was like, I just love this bit. And I retweeted it, and that's gotten more views than anything Comedy Central that's did with their wild. like. Then I'm like, if we're trying to figure this out, you've got to just understand that digital the digital world is like playing the lottery. 
Yeah. You know, like Sarah Silverman would talk about it. That like she did that. I'm fucking Matt Damon thing mm-hmm. that went more viral than anything's ever gone viral. Yeah. And then she would kept having people come to her and be like, I want you to do a video for this thing. We'd love it to go viral. And she's like, listen, that had me talking about having sex and a movie star in it. Like I can talk about, you know, raising money for Obama, but it's not going to get the same like hit that that got. Like, right. You don't understand what makes these things work. Unless I'm fucking Obama. And then that's going to get some good hits. That dude. would get some hits. Yeah. Silverman Obama sex tape would blow the fuck up. That's one of my least favorite things about comedy now is like the idea of like putting a celebrity in makes things funnier. Right. That like that is how you get views. That's how you get things viral. Yeah. It's the, re- the reason they keep putting De Niro on SNL, mm. even though he's never once gotten a laugh. No. Like, it's just like, the, he's De Niro. Some people aren't funny. Is that not okay? Why is there this thing now with, like, all celebrities are supposed to also be affable and funny? There used to be a time when celebrities didn't have to be sweet or funny or anything other than the thing they were that they gave you, right? The reason I liked and that I still love Joaquin Phoenix, you know, uh, timely because of the Joker, but, like, I've always loved that fucking guy. Because I don't think I, I don't think he cares if you think he's funny because he thinks he's good at what he does and he kind of likes to be obscure and weird and uncomfortable and in his brain he's loving it whatever it is, but he's had so many waves of being like this sweetheart guy kind of this asshole this shut away. It makes me laugh because I know inside it's because he's none of those things. He's totally different than all those things, except. He only gives you what he wants, which I love because now every celebrity feels like when they go on any talk show or anything, you have to be this ultimate, affable, lovable, cute, funny, sweet. You have to be for some reason. Otherwise, America gets like angry at you. Yeah, they're upset that you're like, like you're ungrateful. Like I would love to be in The Tonight Show and now you're there just and instead of being funny and charming. You're just being a weird artist guy. Yeah, I, I love that too. But it, but, but now people get upset. Like like Seinfeld not hugging Kesha was probably like one of the funniest things I'd ever seen on the internet. And I remember reading people getting upset about, about him about that. They were like, "That's so rude." It's like, really? Yeah, you have to hug someone. <laughs> I would never. By the way, just because she's famous, he didn't know her. I don't know the woman two houses north of me. I would never hug her, and she's my fucking neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like, never. I don't know her. But they, they just expect you to be, because you're, because you're successful, there's a weird expectation of, like, well, you should also be affable and sweet and extremely appreciative. It's like, old Hollywood never was like that. It, in fact, they loved it when you were who you were. Like, the more you were you, you know what I mean? The more that they were like... That's what they love Sinatra. They love the Rack Pack because those guys did whatever the fuck they want. But they also had like lines. You know what I mean? Like like Dean Martin had a line for everything that he made everyone feel like even though he used the same line for everybody. Yeah. They felt like they got the yeah. Dean Martin experience. Right. You know, that I uh, that I think has been lost a little bit. Sure. Well, all all anonymity is gone. And like in in like complete there. You cannot exist only in your art. You You have to be. I know where you are today. I don't know where I know where you, you know, like on Instagram and Twitter and all these things. It's like, we're so into being tracked that there's no way to be the guy who's like, I don't really do that stuff. But I also think that 
like, I don't know how much often you get recognized. I get recognized. I mean, now with the, having the special come out in the past few months yeah. and the TV show, the billboards, like it's been, it, it gets more and then your show goes off the air and you see it start to die down. Oh yeah, you see the dip. Which is almost comforting. It's like, it's not always going to be this intense. I love it when it goes um, away. Yes. It, it's, it's so great. And like, it's wonderful. I had like a year where I grew the beard and like yeah. no one knew. And then I did the special with the beard. So now it's like, I'm getting it again. But I always think it's it's like, it's more polite or just more uh, you're acting more like a human being if you just pretend act like you're not famous you know like if someone says like hey if someone stops me in the street and says like hey i turn to them as if they want to ask me what time it is i'm sure. not like and then if they're like oh yeah. can i get a picture i'm like oh sure but i've had people ask me for a picture and they actually want me to take it you know that i think it's <laughs> weird to walk around as if you're famous no matter sure. how famous you are and you and i are not that level of fame that you can just assume unless we're at a comedy club and then it's like Different story. if you don't know who i am at this club you shouldn't have a club right um <laughs> but uh i was at the gym and my trainer's like i need to tell you something she's like you need to smile more and i'm like what and she's like you need to smile more at the gym she's like you're famous and like people recognize you and you just kind of come off like kind of a jerk what? In the gym. And I'm like, I've never been rude to anyone here. I just like put my game face on. And the people who look around smiling and talking to people at the gym are the creeps. Right. And she was yeah. like, some of, the, some of them said, like the employees have said that like, you know, I'm a, I was a big fan. It was kind of a disappointment, you know, running, like getting to talk to him for a second. And I was like, you're fired. Like <laughs> you're fired right now. Like that's, un- like, it's insane for you yeah. to say that. And if I was talking to people, I'd be the creepiest guy in the world. Like, there's no way I'm going to talk to... Any- I don't look at anybody. No. I'm just like, game face. And and who smiles at the gym? Gross. Like, what are you smiling yeah, about? Yeah, what are we... I'm like, all oh, the endorphins? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I can't so, get enough? so fucking jacked right now. Well, I'm... Dude, parallel. I'm... I know the woman that owns my gym doesn't like me. It's like a kind of like a private little small little gym. Doesn't like you as a person or doesn't like like your work? I don't think she likes me as a human. I, I think that her and all the employees don't like me because when I go to the fucking gym, this is a standard rule I have. I go to the gym to work out and then leave. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to like hang out. I don't want to get on my fucking phone. I don't text. I go. It's a mission. I have my plan. I do it. I fuck off. I'm very nice. Thank you. Goodbye. But I'm not... They're all, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, beeping. And I'm, you know, they want me to be more like in a community sense. Like, hey, what's up? I'm a part of this thing. I don't want to fucking do that. And I hate it because there's no way for me to not look like a dick. Because when they're like saying something and I'm like, oh, sorry, I gotta, I'm I'm just trying to finish the thing. It's almost like I'm the bad guy. But you're the bad guy for talking to me. When you know I just want to do this. This yeah. is all I'm here to... I wouldn't go to a room filled with weights to hang out. I like to think that I'm I'm never rude. I try to never be rude. Right. But I do not suffer fools. Right. You know, that I think that, like, if you're suffering fools, like, you're being polite at your own expense. Where yeah. you're, like, you're letting these people take from you when they're wrong. Like, it would, like I learned transcendental meditation years ago. And that's the, that the whole point of that shit is you do it by yourself. Like, they teach you, and then it's like, but they were like, we have a get-together this weekend. Like, can you come to the... And I'm like, you're a group too? Like, (laughs) everything's a fucking, like, lifestyle. Like, we've got to be this, like, this thing. And when you do have some fame or some some visibility, it's more important. It's like, if someone books you for a show and you back out... You've ruined the show because you were the guy that yep. everyone was coming to see. That there's more of that, like, there's this pressure that 
I feel is a little unfair. Like it's it's nice to be the guy on the show, but it is annoying when you're like, if I back out of this today, I'm sick, and if I back out. I'm ruining this fucking guy's whole day. Yep. The show's going to be bad. They're going to ask for their money back. Right. I'm going to owe him a favor. Right. It's That's, a domino effect. Yeah. You you fucked up a few different things. Mm-hmm. Well, you are, do you do transcendental, med- transcendental meditation now? Sometimes. I used to do, I was doing it twice a day for a while, and then I started to get lazy with it. Yeah. Where I would kind of have to do it. You know, I think everyone kind of goes through that phase where they're like, you're kind of watching the game and you're kind of doing it. That Now I almost, I have my mantra and I use it if I need to like chill myself out, if I'm just bored. Like if I'm like getting, uh, if, if I'm getting like, like um, idle hands, what do you call it um, acupuncture. Ah, and I'm just like, I'm I gotta sit here for half an hour face down. Like I do that just to kind of keep my sanity, right? Or help me fall asleep a little bit, but I don't actually, you know, do it twice a day anymore. Well, because you're not, you're, from what I know, you're certainly not religious. But you, would you even say you're spiritual or no? No, not even a little bit. No, but I do believe that like. I don't sleep very well. Yeah. And if I could nap, I would like be oh, a better I wish person, I, could I think. Nap. Yeah. But so meditation was like trying to like nap for me. It's like I believe that if you like if you quiet your mind for 20 minutes, that is a helpful thing. Totally. Uh just to, just to rest it. I I literally like I destroy myself when I sleep. Me too. How many hours a night do you get, really? <sighs> I mean, I'm going to say on average six. Ooh, that's Every awesome. Once in a while, I crash. Like, I'll, like, I'll really crash for like 12 because it's like I've been. But like when I sleep, like everything is clenched. <laughs> I grind my teeth. Yeah. Like I have an injury that I've been like trying to like go into physical therapy for that they're yeah. like, you keep fucking it up and you sleep. And I'm like, I don't know what to do Damn. about that. Well, do you, well, I'm like five to six. Sometimes like, it's, I'm the worst sleeper in the fucking world. It's hard. To, the, the head can't turn off. You know when I get the best sleep? When I get a fucking massage. Yeah, I'm always like they're always like how long? I'm like the longest you can fucking do. Uh, whatever the longest is, I'll pay for it because I pass out immediately and I wake up and they're like, "How was it?" And I'm like, "It doesn't matter. I just took a fucking nap. I don't care what you did. I just want some like rest because I can't nap. Same thing. I can't take a fucking nap. I don't know how to like. The only times I turn off is when I'm fully awake, uh, like uh, doing a, a very intense activity. Then I, my brain can like really kind of like shut off. And when I go snowboarding. I disappear. When I go golfing, I disappear. It's almost like why I do those things because my brain literally turns off. I don't fucking think about stand-up, about travel, about dates, booking, any of that stuff. It goes out the fucking window if I'm focused on an activity and Mm -hmm. I can kind of let go. Otherwise, I can't. I can't lay in bed. I can't lay on the couch and not start to reel. Even yeah. if I'm like watching, like you're a sports fan, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if you're, wa- even if I'm watching, you're, you're, what are you, Steelers? Are you Steelers guy? Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. Pittsburgh, yeah. Even if I'm watching a game that I care about, that I really want to enjoy, my brain is still humming. I'm j- I just can't feel, I can't get away from it. I'm the know? same. I mean, I work out four days a week, like with trainers and like maybe other days just to like, just to, like I'll go work out after this just by myself. Um, and that's, I can turn my brain off doing that. Yeah. And then I read a lot. Like, I read a lot because I feel like to, I'm a writer. You know, I'm, I'm more of a writer than I am a comedian, I think. Like, yeah. I, the jokes have to be there that I uh, I just read as much as I can because I really feel like everyone who writes has to just read. And even if it's the back of a shampoo bottle or the great American novel, you got to read something yeah. that I try to do as much as I can. That's good. I mean, I wish I've joked about it. <laughs> Reading for me is so hard. I can start a million books and I'll never finish them. I start, I start, I mean, like there's a stack of books. I'll start books and I'll read them, I'll read them, I'll read them, I'll read them. And I, I'll get, I'll get all this like interest and love for it. And then I'll just be like, fuck this. And I'll start a new book. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Like I think it, 
so few comics read that it shocks me, to be honest, because yeah. you would think that as like someone who's got to write jokes that you would want to like read more things. And there are comics who it's all life experience. So reading would be pointless for them, but sure. still I think it, it helps vocabulary, all that stuff. Um, but I, I read a thing once that was like, if you read a good book, because there's so many bad books out there that I'll, I'll chuck a book out the window 10 yeah. pages in if I'm like, fuck this. Right. But there was a thing that was like, if you read a good book, you do the work for the first hundred pages and then the, if the book is good, it takes over from there. Oh, wow, that's good. So we'll get to the 100-page mark, and if I feel the book has taken over... Like, I just finished this book called uh, Ducks Newburyport. Ducks Newburyport? Yeah, Ducks, Newburyport. It's a 700-page novel, entirely one sentence inside the mind... It's like a monologue inside the mind of a housewife as she goes about her week. Oh, my God. And I loved it. I've been recommending... And I'm like, I understand if you're like, I would never read that in a million years, but like... It just got me, and I just I read it in a weekend. It's a run-on sentence. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is just a constant. There is no period. There's no punctuation. There's a couple little breaks for like they go off on this like like with the little thing, but literally that's like five pages out of seven hundred. The rest of it is literally one sentence that would like pick up again <laughs> wow. and keep going. But it was great. What did you go to school for? Uh, literature was my major. Yeah. Business minor. My parents said, "When you can't get a, a degree, we can't get a job with your English major. You can get one with your business minor." And I wanted to be creative writing. I wanted to be a novelist. Ah. But they only offered a couple creative writing classes at Tulane, not a major. Yeah. There were some schools I applied to that I could have gone and majored in creative writing, but I would have rather gone to New Orleans and lived in New Orleans. <laughs> uh, so, and, and literally, that's how it worked. Where I realized I wasn't a brilliant novelist, but I was like a good writer. Yeah. And moved out here thinking I would get into the showbiz somehow. And I really did get a job with my business minor where I get, was working as an accounting clerk uh, while I eventually got into stand-up. Wow. Did you, did you do the stereotypical New Orleans party your fucking ass off for 40 years? Or was that not your scene? No, I partied like, I mean, everyone did. Yeah. Like everyone did that it was, it was, it was like weird not to black out. The reason, I, mean? I, <laughs> the reason I ask is because like I went to Arizona State. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the stories that, or the people. People just they they, they assume everything, and uh, they're right. Everything is true. Oh, but I brother, I've moved a brother and a sister into Arizona State. My brother lasted a year and then transferred to Tulane. Yeah, I'm proud. And my of that. sister made it maybe five minutes. I'm proud of uh, that. And was gone. But I remember just like every dorm had its own swimming pool. Yep. Like just seeing the women alone, you were just like, "What the fuck?" This is the it was a joke I've ever seen. Yeah, it was a joke. It was it was it wasn't real. But I feel like people do. You do think. People are like, oh, God, these schools are really living up to their reputation. But it's like, well, that's what they are. But, like, you would go to school in New Orleans to party. People do go to school at UNLV because they're fucking near in Vegas. But, see, Arizona State was, like, a party school where, the like, the school was the party. Yeah. At Tulane, there was, like, a bar, like, on campus that you'd end up on at the end of the night. But the rest of it, it was just New Orleans. Right. So, like, I New Orleans almost saved my life in that for four years, I was a fucking maniac. Like, four years, just a complete and total maniac. Same. And then I moved to LA and I was like ready to leave New Orleans at that point. Like I was like four years has been enough. And I really went as hard. I could not have gone harder in New Orleans. And I got to get to LA and I go out to a bar in Westwood and I'm getting drunk and they're like, last call. And I go, what does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) And they go, that means the bar is closing in 15 minutes. Like you can get one more drink. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to pour this one into this to-go cup and walk out the front door. And I got tackled by security, and they were like, you can't do that either. And I was like, well, then I'm never going out again. Like, right. I don't understand why anyone would go to a bar in Los Angeles. Right. Like, with, like in New York, I, I enjoy myself again in New York, but uh, New Orleans trained me to, like, leave the house at midnight and then come home at 6 a.m. 
well, you don't now. You don't really go out now anyway. Like you, you'll have drinks that we've had drinks at the club, but you won't go. You don't traditionally just go to a bar to meet people anyway to drink. Bar, uh, bars have been ruined for me. Yeah, they've been ruined. Fame has ruined bars. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like I love now getting drunk at a restaurant. That's well, that's I, the best. Place. But I cannot go to a bar unless it's like there's like a private club I belong to that sure. like, that like open near my near my apartment that I'll go to, um, or like if I know I'm kind of protected. You know, I'll either go to some place that's like super fucking nice or super fucking shitty. Sure. You know, those two yeah. places I feel very comfortable. But it's like the normal, the normal bars where one drunk kid's like wants a picture and then that's your night. It doesn't stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, at some point you're like done with that shit. What's your What's your poison? I know we have whiskey. You like whiskey, right? I like it. I mean, if it's the best of it, I yeah. like it. You know, like I, I enjoy a martini. Uh, and vodka doesn't really matter to me. Once you get above, it's if it's better than absolute, you're cool. Uh, I really love whiskey, but if I overdo it or like scotch, but that like that next day, it's still in the back of my throat. I just can't. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't do it. I like tequila a lot. Oh and, and fuck beer. no! I I cannot have tequila. I just I, but I only drink the best tequila. So sure. Then you know, even still, I just feel like I'm. It's just the flavor profile. It's just not what I know. So many people love it, and they're like, "You have to try this good tequila." I've had really good tequila. Have you and tried mezcal? I've yes, I, yeah. I've tr- I've tried all different kinds of tequila, and even still, I'm like, this is just not for me. Something is not about. But I've been drinking whiskey for so long that it was in my family. Like my grandfather, who was like my idol, Manhattan's is all he drank. And when I was a kid, I used to love the flavor of them. Um, but then I years later I got older and realized that like he was drinking just shit whiskey. Like shit whiskey. So when I loved it because it was kind of reminiscent of him. But then when I tried good whiskey, I was like, well, there's something similar. Like it's a hint of what I but this is so much better. Like yeah. it was just it's in my family. Everyone likes whiskey in my fucking family. It's a bunch of Irish drunks, you know what I mean? So it, it, I I almost have it where like it's I'm so used to the smell and the taste being near me and around me. That when I try other stuff, it just doesn't. I'm like, this is okay. It's just not as comforting for me for some reason. It depends on where I am and what I'm doing. Like at the end of a meal, I like a nice like double scotch with the one big ice cube. Yeah, you know, that's fun for me. Yeah, uh, and if I'm like hanging out with a friend and we're both drinking whiskey, like that's that's fun to do too. But uh, if I'm at the comedy store, like maybe I'll do a shot at the end of the night. But I'm 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 drinking beer one. Yeah, yeah. You don't you do. Know? You've never did drugs. Did you ever do drugs? Mm-hmm. I've, I, I at one point I wanted to try everything. Yeah. And I was like, I remember the first time I did cocaine, being like, thank God I didn't like that. <laughs> like I just was just like I can't believe I said all that dumb shit last night. Yeah. That, like, I enjoy my weed and I enjoy my booze, and that's that's, that's really it. it for me. Like, you- like maybe once every couple of years I'll do mushrooms. Like in the right situation, I'm in. I'm down for whatever. Right. But I just don't like those things. It's not like I'm like, ooh, I can't take Molly because it's like I've done it and it's not, the hangover is not worth it to me. Sure, that I agree. serotonin dip, I'm just like, uh-uh. I, I don't need this. It's disgusting. And there's all these tricks, you know, like Duncan Trussell, those guys and Rogan and all those guys will tell you there's the tricks of the trade, Ari, Shafir will always have like tricks of the trade to like clean yourself out. But I'm like, I don't want to have to like repair the engine. I don't want to, I don't want to work it that hard. You know, like, yeah, I don't have that much fun on the drug that it's worth right. how I feel afterwards. Do you smoke weed now or do you do you, do you take or eat now? It's funny. I was like, I used to smoke it. And then when like the vape pen became all the rage, uh-huh. I was like, okay, this is better because I can do that and then still work out and it doesn't like kill my lungs. Right. And then that whole like the vape thing that's been going on now yeah. freaked me out where even though I know the stuff that I was getting was legit, yeah, uh, it still freaked me out where I went to edibles where now it's like almost... 
medicinal where it's like, I know exactly the milligrams I'm putting in my body. Uh. And I take that. Yes. That it's like, it's changed the way I work out. My lungs feel better. And it's made me, I think, use less marijuana. And I do like it. I mean, it's like, after a show, I'm so jacked, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour, that I need to do something to myself. Totally. And it's either going to be a little bit of weed or a lot of booze. Yeah. We you know? t- well, they're these great pills I should send you home with. I get them. They're 10 and 10. 10 milligrams of CBD, 10 of THC. And they're a godsend. It's like the perfect balance for me to take in the evening to get a little high, but a, a little, um, you know, the CBD kind of tends to make me like a little lethargic or a little like, you know, relaxed. And it's the perfect sleep aid. Like if I do really want to knock out, I'll smash one of those at the evening instead of in the middle of the day when I'm going to like for a hike or a jog or something. I'll hit that at the, in the afternoon, dude. And I am one of these, one of the brown sauce and I'm out. It, it's, it's the best for me. I went to a, uh, I was like on the road once and I was like, I'm not going to, uh, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to be drinking that much because I'm about to tape the special. So like right. I got these weed pills that were like 20 milligrams of just THC. Uh-huh. And I would do the show. I'd go back to my hotel. I'd take it. And I'd watch a movie, waiting for it to kick in. And once it kicked in, I'd finish the movie. And then by like midnight, I pass out and I wake up and I feel great. And I'm in Cleveland to do a show, a theater. My parents come down from Pittsburgh to come see the show. And I'm like, I'm going to leave early tomorrow. But if you want to come back to my hotel for a drink, like come on by. And they're like, yeah, we can't stay long, but we'll do that. I go to my room. I take the pill. I'll have an hour with my parents and it'll kick in. I go downstairs, order a martini, and the fucking thing kicks in immediately. (laughs) And my parents show up 10 minutes later and I can barely get a sentence out. Like I'm like, I'm just trying to act as normal as I can. And I can't tell my parents I took this weed pill to fall asleep. Right. So they just think that I like in the 10 minutes since they saw me have just gotten like, had like a hundred martinis. I'm like taking little <laughs> sips to show them how little I'm drinking. And they're just like, they can't look me in the eye. Cause you're that fucked up. Yeah. I've and heard- I like, I wasn't like slurring. I just like literally was just got super stoned. Immediately, I've had those. No idea, and it's so funny that now you're you're a grown man. You're what are you? Are you how old are you? Forty? I'll be forty-one in December. Yeah, it's like a grown-ass man at this point. It's like for some reason we're still a little scared of our parents seeing us high on something. It's so fu- It's so weird. This for last no reason. year was the first year that I was like, I'm gonna wear t-shirts and and like not hide my tattoos the whole time I'm home. Right. Well, because they I didn't would, like them. They're not tattoo people, and they just like have ignored the fact that I have them. But I would wear like long sleeves in right. like the summertime, just so it wouldn't they wouldn't be like. It wouldn't be like throwing it in their face. And right. now I'm like, if you want to ask me about them, ask me about them. Right. Like I'm 40 years old. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I pay for my life. I think I'm fine. Are you, are you is it white collar family or blue collar family? White collar, my, you know, my, uh, my dad was an attorney. Sure, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Retired, yeah. but still does pro bono stuff, works on different cases. My mom was always, uh, you know, raising the kids. So t- tattoos, uh, that kind of, all that shit was no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Drugs when you were a kid was like fucking. If we caught you, you'd be fucked. My parents, like, I would get caught with cigarettes and I'd get grounded for months. And then, right. like, my sisters, we get caught with cigarettes and they'd just take them. You know, like, I broke my family in. <laughs> right. Well, you were the uh, oldest. That's why. I was the oldest. You and my had parents take the hits. were so square. Like, I don't believe either one of them ever tried pot uh, in their entire ever? lives. Ever. And your parents are what? They got to be born in like the early 50s? My right? dad just turned 70. My mom is like 64. Okay, yeah, so um, late, like, late 40s. Or but late 40s. her dad was a general in the army. Oh, shit. So, like, they were square. And my dad was, like, ROTC. Like, they met in Korea. Oh, when wow. he was, like... So when everyone else had long hair, he had a shaved head. You know, like, <laughs> they were that sort of, like, right. square. Right. My dad kind of escaped this, like, small-town life to go to Notre Dame on his own. You know, like, he really got out and worked to get out. Wow. That my family, like, education was king and hard work was important. And right. I was, like... 
I kind of like comedy and art. And they were like, uh, you're not going to be able to do anything with that. And then once I did, they were like, we didn't understand. Like sure. being parents from Pittsburgh, like we didn't get how LA worked or the show business or that this could ever happen for. Well, nobody, for I mean, none of them do. I mean, I was so afraid till, oh my God, I don't know, a couple of years ago to admit that like, this is really everything I am. Like my, my, my parents always knew, but like my parents were so like, yeah, go do it. You'll be good. Like, uh, not like, it's going to be your, not that they didn't believe in me, but I don't know if they believe that I would do what I've done. Like, I think they were kind of just like, yeah, fucking, okay, that's awesome. I don't, they, they were supportive in the fact they're like, I guess, I don't know anything about it. I, that whole thing is so whatever to them that they were like, yeah, okay, you'll be fine. Like my parents always knew it was like, I was always quick enough and always hardworking enough that it's like, they knew I would just get a gig somewhere doing something. They never had any fear that it'd be like, can I move back? It was never that. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, go, fuck it, whatever. And then only very recently have they just kind of been like excited about the world because they see it so much more now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's hard to get away from like when I first would do TV stuff, I was embarrassed to tell them that I would get a guest star on a thing or something. And, you know, just because you're, it's different. It's just different for our side. But, they, you know, they were always like, yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out. You know what I mean? But for me too, my house was like, now my mom wants drugs. I'm sending my mom pot after all these years of me coming home and hiding being stoned. You know what I mean? It's like, now my mom is like, can you send me some of the gummy ones? I want the, the gummy ones. I would, I would give anything. And my parents are so against it. But like, as, since now that all the kids are out of the house, yeah. my parents drink a little more than they used to. My mom enjoys her wine. My dad can have like one Manhattan. And he, anything more than that, he doesn't like it. Like, it's right. not like he just it doesn't feel good. But he'll have one drink and my mom has more than he does. And I just want to be like, Dad, if you took, if you would take this like CBD thing or you would take this like this little edible that was like the yeah. tiniest thing, give you a little bit of buzz, you would be so much happier with mom. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that you, you might find just, love again. That it would just, I think he'd probably sleep better, but he, they, they think of it as like the devil's weed. Right. And they right, won't touch right. it. Like, yeah. I can't convince my parents to eat sushi. What? I'll be like, what if I took you to the best sushi restaurant in LA? Your dad's like, Pearl Harbor, like, dude. No way. Like, raw fish. Like we don't we don't want to. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. Yeah. That is very like that is. I mean, dude, I'm, mid, I'm a Midwest. I get we don't technically count Pennsylvania as a Midwest place, but it has very Midwest things about it's, it. Yeah, I used to have get into fights in college of whether it was East Coast or Midwest, and they're like Philly is more East Coast. You know, Pittsburgh's eight hours away by car. That like, yeah, Pittsburgh's more Midwest. It is. It is more Midwest. Like Pennsylvania is kind of in its own its own thing, you know, especially because culturally it's so fucking different. I mean, you don't have an accent, but so many people sound so different from East Pennsylvania. It's just so like wood or who, also O's and houses, all that shit in the country bumpkin of them all. It's the, it's a place that I can't explain. I took a, tr- I, one time I did a, a, a college run through Pennsylvania cause there's like a thousand fucking colleges there. And I think I did five or six in a row, shitty cafeteria gigs, you know? Never had to do them. Oh, my God, dude. It was awful. But I loved it because it was my introduction. That was when I first started getting a little bit of headlining money, you know, to do these bullshit little... And the the country bumpkin, uh, like, oh, so deep, oh, like that. I was so weirded out. I was like, I'd never seen that live, dude. It's so weird, and it sounds nothing like... People in like Pittsburgh doesn't sound like that at all. People don't sound like it, that there. Parts of it, yeah, really. Because yeah. any when I was in the city, it just didn't feel like it had that. Philly wasn't as bad as the the outskirts have this weird. 
I mean, it's the way I say, like, Chicago, I make fun of my Chicago friends. It's like, Chicago's so heavy that, you know, it's it's such like a prominent accent. And then you meet people from Chicago that don't sound like that at all. And you're like, oh, this is just a, this is just a, a little section that sounds so heavy and some sections sound yeah. so easy. Yeah. It's like almost like the accent has become the parody of the accent. Right. That people right. are like, oh, like when I went to New Orleans, people were like, it's New Orleans. And right. I'm like, no, I've never heard anyone say that. It's right. New Orleans. It's New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. Everyone <laughs> says it like that. Yeah. I never had the Pittsburgh accent and I couldn't like, I remember uh, they asked me to do it on this like show. Like uh, there was a TV show. Uh, Nick Kroll's show had this thing about like Pennsylvania versus Philadelphia and I loved it. Right. I was like, this is so funny. You're nailing like every stereotype about Pittsburgh and Philly in the best way possible. I would just sing their praises and they were like, do you want to be on this like this last one we're doing? You'll be like a weatherman. You can do the accent or not if you like whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it was like very simple. Um, and I'm like, I can, I'm sure I can do the accent. And then I got there and I was like, I can't fucking do this accent. Right. Like I can't, like my parents were so like, do not have this accent that I can't even like fake it. Like it was a pride thing for them. It was just like, don't, like if I ever said yins, they'd be like, knock it off. <laughs> yeah, yins is like, uh, what's that slang for like, it's like, it's like, it's you like our all, y'all. Y'all, yeah. yeah, it's you all. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, don't say that for me. I don't, I don't want to hear that shit either. What if yeah. fucking yins, it just has this, it does have a connotation of like, uh, stupid. It's offensive to say it, but it's like, it's just whenever people have like the heaviest part of the accent, you're like, that guy's not the smartest guy. Because I don't know a lot of Chicago attorneys that are like, yeah, your honor, we're going to be doing this case. Like, it's just not the, it's just, that's the way it goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're, It tends to be at the top of the food chain. I came from a family that was very quick to correct your grammar or correct like how you said things and, right. and what was, you know, what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. That I'm grateful for now. Well, you sound fantastic. Thank you. When are you going back on the road again? I don't know. It, it really depends on how quickly I can pull together this new hour. I've got like almost 20 minutes right now. Yeah, I've seen some and of that's it. that's a fucking ton for me. Yeah. That, but I think I, it's going to be probably at least another year. Maybe I'll start going to comedy clubs. And then like last for the last special, I did a year in L.A. of just nonstop. Like nothing, I didn't have a TV show. I had nothing else but doing this hour. And then I went to clubs for a year. And then I went to theaters for a year and then recorded it. Oh, that's great. That it, that like, it, was, it was great. And it, you know, an hour is an investment. You want to get the most money out of it. Because once you tape it, yeah. it's gone. But I think I'll do something similar. Like where I'll have the year in LA, probably like a year from now. And then I'll do half the comedy clubs I did last time. There were some clubs where I was like, I hate this. Yeah. That only go to the good ones that... That you want to be at. That I want to be at, exactly. Right. And then go to the theaters. Because theaters, I don't care. Like a bad theater is still a theater. Yeah, um, but a bad comedy club. You're there for a long time. <laughs> yeah, some, it's too long. Well, when you get back out, uh, people people got to come out and see you because what you're chopping up now is great. I've seen a lot of the stuff that you're working on now, and um, it's you know, eh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, no, it's <laughs> no, it's, there's some really great shit in there. Um, in the meantime, uh, listen to both. I guess I should say, listen to your pod, uh, podcast, The Vanity Project. Um, the Jessel Nick and Rosenthal Vanity, Vanity Project, Project right? VP. And then check out uh, right now. Uh, you can also listen to it. On, I, I also saw in the podcast app. People can hear it, um, your show. But uh, where can where where can people see it instead of they want to watch? I think it, if it? you have cable, you can do on demand. I think yeah. some of them are on the Comedy Central website. Sure. I keep hearing about this app. But I don't know. They got the uh, app, baby. Like, uh, tr- if you listen to it, great. You can listen to it for free on iTunes. Uh, but really, watch the show. It's better if you watch it. Yeah. And uh, and just Google it and see. Good talk with Anthony Jeselnik. You can see find if it. you can. Uh, we did six episodes of the first season. They're all great. Yeah, they really are. Uh, Shaw was uh, really funny. 
Awesome. Who else? You did uh, uh, Kristen Natasha, Shaw, Natasha Leggero, Tig Notaro, yeah. David Spade, Kumail Nagiani, and Nick Kroll. So five women and one guy. Three, three women, three guys. I don't know. Depends on who you ask. I don't know how you count. <laughs> uh, which one you would think was was not? We'll let was, the audience decide. It was a lot of fun, and it was fun because like not most people people didn't know what the show was going to be. Sure, they had to trust me. Yeah, like they're like we want to ask Seinfeld, and I'm like you don't. I don't know Seinfeld. You can't ask him to do something that he can't even watch the pilot. But now it'll be interesting to see how people react to season two when they know what they're uh, right. what they're getting. But it's good if people don't know what they're getting into because then it's more fun. I feel they like we're people, once people are aware, more, when people yeah. are aware, it's a little... like People know when they go on Larry King, you're like, I know what the fuck I'm getting into. You know what I mean? I'm, I did Larry King and uh, when it was just like an internet show, uh, which I think Tom Green is now doing for him. Um, and we're talking about comedy for half an hour. And I've done a roast with Larry King. Like I thought we like knew each other and like he was familiar with my stuff. Yeah. And one point I go... He's talking about like PC and like and this kind of stuff, and I'm like, "Have you ever seen my stand up?" And he goes, "No." Like with total confidence, was like, "Nope, never seen any of it. Like no idea." And I was like, "Okay." He's like, "They tell me you're funny." Yeah, yeah. Well, fucking good, good. Larry King doesn't have to care anymore. At some age, you're like, "I don't give a fuck." It's kind of like how Jerry Lewis in his latter years was just like mean to people, and you're like, "He's like, I don't need to care anymore." No, I, for, I, I mean, cared for too long. Middle age on, he did not. Yeah, he didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, I'll we'll link everything for. Uh, for your shows in the description. Thank you for coming. I'm going to turn off the, uh, turn this off, but I'm going to let you say the last words or phrase. Say one phrase. Go ahead. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on trucking. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. You owe me $5 for the whiskey and $75 for the Ginger's all oh, hell no. This whiskey is excellent. Ginger. I like gingers.